0: (laughs) I love the idea of a Catan Shah trying to hide (laughs) (laughs) shh I'm not here
1: Welcome to episode 36 of the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by Dan Wellington. Hello. And Daniel Foley.
0: Hello again. It's me.
1: (laughs) As always, before we get started... You can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can always follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. Support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store. And that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below. So please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So yes, uh, for the first time in a while, we've got both the Dans on the show tonight. I don't know how much our listeners might know, but um, (laughs) in-house, as it were, we've often referred to the curse of the Double Dan, as we always seem to encounter some kind of technical errors or issues whenever we get the pair of you on on one show together. Yes, and and
0: you decided to add more technology to the problem. Well done for that. That's (laughs) Excellent. What could yes. possibly go wrong? What could
1: possibly go wrong? So, for the first time, we've started doing recordings with, um, like, or, yeah, not audio feeds. That would be strange if we got this far out of audio feeds. <laughs> um, so, for the uh, first times we've started recording with video feeds of ourselves, anyway, so we could see each other as we talk. Hopefully, it shouldn't cause us any too. Any too many issues, um, and we should get through tonight. I hope technical issue free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a very very optimistic <laughs> look of this.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think wasn't it the first time we got you both together was when we infamously lost a whole episode? Yeah we, the episode. yeah, we are the lost
0: episode. Yeah, we did we? I'm sure you mentioned yes. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are the lost episode. <laughs>
2: This has definitely been discussed. Fair enough. Well,
1: in either case, what we are going to be discussing tonight is going to be the first of the new Warzone Octarius books. And I say the first because, amazingly, they've already announced the second one is going to be going up for pre-order this coming weekend.
0: I am looking forward to that. This is my favourite Warzone of all the background and things that they do. It's got all my favourite characters in it. I am super excited about talking about this this evening. Oh, yeah
1: so well, i mean like this is the first opportunity we've had to sort of sit down with the book after having digested it um i mean we only really had it what like a week or so to be able to start actually going through the stuff in here and yet it seems like in two weeks time we're gonna have another one to start sifting through again so yay it looks like we're gonna be like inundated with um Octarius-based content for the next couple of episodes, even more so than I was already anticipating.
2: Oh, it's a tough life, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny, isn't it, how you can't complain, really, can you? It's excellent how much they are getting out of this quick.
0: (laughs) Octarius is like buses, you know, you wait around for ages and (laughs) And two come along at once. It's... (laughs)
1: So, um, in terms of what we are going to be talking about tonight, as is usually the case when we review these um, campaign supplements, there's a bunch of stuff in here that we're not going to bother talking about or deep diving into because either bunches of it are various reprints of information, which is useful to you know uh, to have, and um, new supplemental like expansions for certain codexes or races, which are getting very much the spotlight attention on many of the other match play competitive shows or just other um, podcasts out there. So if you want to hear all the latest best moves and options and strategies involving Codex Supplement Kadia or Codex Supplement Leviathan, I'm sure you've probably already listened to a number of shows that have covered them at this point, or you can go find them easily enough. So uh, we will not be covering those tonight.
2: If you haven't heard already, type "Cadia supplement or Leviathan supplement into Google and there will be about seven million results. Yeah. Or probably just type our uh, Hiveguard good.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you'll get a series of YouTube yes. videos telling you why they are. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're not going to cover um, either of the Codex Supplements or the Hivebind Synaptic links in detail. Um, we similarly not going to dive into the appendix information basically reprinted for the Tyranids, the Inquisition, or the unaligned fortifications. Although we will be touching on something um, that relates to fortifications. So, bearing in mind that that is a chunk of this book that we're not bothering to review. That doesn't mean we're going to be shy of content for tonight's conversation, so it is worth bearing in mind that this is actually a pretty damn packed book. There's a lot of stuff in here.
2: Shall we uh, Shall we dig in then?
1: Yes. So, um, again, being one of our campaign supplements, we're not going to bother with a, a PlayStation Garrison or a Games Played section tonight because there's plenty to go through, so yes, as Dan suggests, I think we will jump straight into part one of our review, so we'll be back in just a second, guys. And we're back, guys, with what is going to be the first part of our look at Warzone Octarius Rising Tide. So, as with all of these previous campaign supplements that we've had for our Ninth edition, there is a brand new campaign system in here for us to have a look at, and while it does borrow a few pieces from sort of established ninth edition campaign template, I would say that actually this one is probably one of the more varied versions we've seen. It's definitely a different system, um, in this case it's actually using a Campaign tree system as opposed to, say, like an all ladder based sort of system as we've seen in a few previous publications. So,
3: okay. just
1: yeah, so to give us a little basic rundown, it does include some of the key elements that we've seen in previous campaigns. So, we it suggests using a campaign master, it suggests using some like uh, overarching alliances and. The campaign does run through three phases, and in each phase you earn planetary assault points, which I believe behave exactly like Warzone points of old, <laughs> um, and then strategic points in order to determine which alliances win each phase of the campaign, and ultimately the campaign over So does that all sound familiar?
0: Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> lots of points there's lots of points there is I, th- I think if i was doing an event day like a sort of a campaign type day this is what i would use it's really good in the sort of with the extra with all the different sort of it, it it structures it really nicely um and it the uh the tree sort of campaign bits they've got is a nice way of showing it and you can so i've already I put it on the on the Facebook group I've already created my own phase 1 uh tree campaign using lots of different books and scenarios you can you can there's a, even at the back there's sort of a, a blank copy that they give you which is nice that you can photo it says you can permission to photocopies <laughs> them for free for free Ooh. whoa um but yeah I I love it it's got some really nice um uh, extra little bits in it which i'm sure we'll get on to later
1: yeah so i would completely agree with you in the sense that basically being a campaign tree system it's laying the foundations of a basically a free game per phase structure so you know phase one has free games phase two has free games and three has free games so if you were looking at running a weekend event you could essentially use each phase as a day of your event depending on how many days you want to run your event for
0: yeah it would yeah. it would work really well for that it sounds like um, it's
2: more structured
0: it is but without taking the narrative element away because sometimes you get a lot of these structured ones and you think oh this is this is more geared towards match play whereas this just gives yeah. you a framework, and it makes it more. Um, you it makes it means you can organise campaigns. That's what I always find with a lot of campaign supplements. They give you the sort of, this is how the campaign should work, but it's really vague, and it's re- the one in Vigilus is quite vague. It's really vague. It's not thought through in a sort of gaming club type way. Um, if you meet up with regular people, it's really difficult to to organise games. Whereas this actually gives you suggestions on how to run like if you're doing it as a tree campaign right this this week you are doing this game and everyone is doing the same game you add up the total points and whoever's got the most points whichever alliance got most points they win that round and then you move on to the next round so it's very structured but from the way they've written the trees and the way they've done the things you can actually so you can actually theme your Phases quite well so in the one i've used i've done it from a point of view of the first one is um when i when i play it with uh, a friend of mine we're going to have the orcs uh, infiltrate an orbital station which will be the the sort of crusade small skirmishy type game and then build on that from a landing point of view and then from that sort of supply runs and so on and so forth um and it also meshes really nicely with crusade The crusade system as well so you could play it alongside that which is really good
2: yeah is it uh, like the previous ones where it's it's not specifically for crusade but it kind of is
1: yes so in in that um a lot of the stuff in this campaign is making the assumption that you'll be playing using the containment mission pack now you don't have to it's not mechanically tied in any way the containment mission pack is all these planet strike missions um and there's a heavy you know planetary assault theme that runs throughout everything going on in this sort of campaign stuff even as we'll get to the concept of the shadow missions is representative of the kill teams that have been dispatched to the planets and locations throughout the octaria sector which again is sort of Representative of these
0: battles that occur in the
1: Containment Mission
0: Pack, but that—that is to say, though. Sorry. um, No, go on. That is to say that you don't have to, um, because I don't own the Containment Mission Pack, but I own the Veil of Beyond, the one with the Pariah (laughs) Sector. Veil of
1: Beyond.
0: The the, the Veil of something or other, and I've in. Yeah, Beyond the (laughs) Veil, I did a load of the ones from there. All right, I can't remember. They've got so many names like data tethers and things so it's like all sorts of canyons and stuff um yeah so you can sandwich <laughs> in any any um any of those missions and they work perfectly and you can theme them really really well
1: yeah in fact just to sort of outline the the, the fine details then um one difference from this campaign to previous ones is that it suggests using just two overarching factions so whereas previously we've had essentially Imperium, Chaos and Xenos this one is um, designed to just be attacker and defender Um, and as an example of how these are tied to the mission packs without having to be tied um, in the containment mission packs, every mission has a defined attacker and defender and, and those are very different roles in terms of gameplay in that mission pack because of the nature of Planet Strike whereas in previous ones, attacker and yeah. defender doesn't often mean a lot other than maybe what your objectives are. Um, but in this campaign system, it suggests that if you're using any missions that use an attacker and defender role, then always the player from the attacking alliance will always be the attacker, and the, one with the defending alliance will always be the defender. Unless the mission specifies otherwise. I mean, Yeah, right. Um, And it does, there's a nice designer's note that obviously says whilst in theory, the narrative would be defenders would be the Imperials because they're attempting to defend the Sentinel worlds that are containing the Nids and the Orcs from escaping, and thus the non-Imperial players would be the attackers. It doesn't have to be strictly true for every single member of the Alliance because obviously space is a big space and (laughs) there'll be many worlds and bastions it's pretty much
2: the biggest space there is (laughs) Um, and
1: you could easily have like a single orc player in the defenders alliance for example to even out the the number of players in your playgroup but in reality that represents the fact that that orc is probably a warlord who has an orc held world and is being besieged by the tyranids or is constantly having to fend off insurgent attacks from the Imperium, or even, you know, chaos forces that are also in the region. So it, it really is just a, um, a mechanical difference of attacker and defender, and any player of any race can sort of pitch in on either side at the start of the campaign.
0: Fair enough. I mean, you could also, like, it could also represent the Orcs fighting the Orcs as well, which is quite a nice... <laughs>
1: Yep. So we've got two alliances, Um, funnily enough, in this particular mission pack we don't actually have, sorry not mission pack, in this campaign um, we don't have any theatres of war or any legendary missions, which is something that we've seen in more or less every previous um, system, but instead there are some other things in here such as the shadow missions and the victor bonuses. Which we'll get to shortly.
2: Um, so, yeah. Do you, do you think they might rock up in a white dwarf somewhere along the line?
3: Um, no,
0: the the next book is supposedly, having read the blurb, the next book is going to contain all the legendary missions and the. Um,
1: right. It's like that. Fair yeah. Enough. I mean, it's funny how even in the Flashpoint series for Octarius. There's not actually been a ton of theatres of war. There's been two and they are very uniquely tied to a particular planet. Yeah. So unlike Charidon that came with about 15 different theatres of war for its war zone as a whole they've actually, it's an element they've not tapped into massively with Octarius which is fine because they've obviously been experimenting with other stuff um, as we'll, for the sake, we'll get to shortly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the campaign tree system, as we mentioned, um, the campaign does have three phases. Each phase has three games, and which games you play are defined by that tree. So, as an example, um, a phase. So there's there is actually some pre-written examples of short campaigns in here, um, some pre-created trees. If you want to just play through those, or as Daniel's done, he's creating his own example based on what missions you and your playgroup would like to potentially play through. Because obviously being a tree system, you're not necessarily going to play every single one of them, because you're only going to end up taking one branch. (laughs) Um, So for example, in the predetermined campaign, uh, the Stage 1 campaign tree suggests using the standard Crusade mission packs. which. It's like the core, Crusade missions are the core rulebook. And you would start by playing um, the Recon Patrol mission, which is an incursion size game. Um, And then, depending on whether the attacker or the defender wins, your next game would be either the Ritual or the Relic. And then depending on which attacker or defender won that scenario, you'll then be led to one of three other missions, which would be either supply cash, behind enemy lines, or sabotage. And what this system's actually really good for is that it allows you to play escalation elements quite easily into this, because um, each phase could be an entire tree of combat patrol in phase one, and then an entire tree of incursion yep. in phase two, and then strike force yep. in three. And there's nothing stopping you escalating between games. I know some of the examples here have say an incursion mission for game 1 and game 2 and then it escalates to a strike force mission for game 3 of that same
0: phase so like so fair enough like also what you it also allows you to do is if you want to go to almost do sort of like um, put in some smaller games in the middle of and this is where your story can happen um so if if you've got in your head you're going to follow a particular route or or of on the tree and suddenly you've got like a big um say for example small skirmish to knock out some guns then your next game is a bigger game which you have like landers come in and there's the lander zones and things like that then you could essentially go back to a smaller game where a small group of infiltrators go to knock out a um ammo dump or something and then go back to the beginning again so you can chop and change between the two which is really nice it, 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 you don't have to continually grow you can you can tell a story through oh well this group managed to succeed in knocking out the, the dump so the next mission will do um, I don't know um, a, a full scale assault because we're ready to go in and take, take out it's really nicely done yeah you
1: could for example
0: have like a strike force mission Um, with a uh,
1: Like a secondary objective or whatever relating to the enemy warlord and if the enemy warlord is killed Then your next mission might be that you play a combat patrol mission where you try to rescue The warlord because they were captured at the end of the previous battle So then you're sending in a small extraction force to try and rescue him So it really does let you sort of scale up and down quite nicely
0: It strikes me very much like, uh, here's a subtle uh, plug for your previous uh, podcast, but it's very uh, (laughs) choose-your-own-adventure in that way. Um, (laughs) It's quite, it it, it is in, in that way because you are sort of telling the story and that's where if you can plot it out and you've got that sort of brain where you can plot out multiple plot lines, it's a really nice way of doing it
1: yeah um from a like campaign master point of view knowing that you know what all six possible missions and what routes to victory have led to them are going to be before the games are played but also by doing it in phases you don't need to have planned out your entire mastermind 18 missions worth of potentials you could just do uh, one phase at a time
0: yeah because after each phase you start with a single mission again so you don't have to go into realms of it doesn't have to look like that meme where someone's sort of looking at the wall and go I can't I don't know where it's from but you know where they're looking at the wall going this could be here it could be anywhere we don't know where we're going
1: <laughs> lots of pinned pieces of paper yeah. and red yeah gold, that one. yeah that yeah Xenos <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: um But yeah like you say so while game one will be predetermined game two could be one of two potentials and game three could be one of three potentials by the time you get to game four that will also just be one mission you will know what game four is going to be because you're resetting the tree for that next phase and then we do have one sort of other mechanic that is tied to the campaign trees and that is the victor bonuses this is so cool yeah now this is interesting so there's um there's, there's 18 different victor bonuses and as part of the campaign tree each mission will have a a predetermined victor bonus associated with it which can be either generated by the campaign master just you know deciding that in advance each mission in the campaign tree also has a space to denote what the victory bonus is going to be for the alliance that wins that game now i say win obviously I, I guess what we haven't mentioned at this point and actually took me a, a couple of rereads to work this out but it makes sense when
3: is
1: is the fact obviously if you say playing in a game club you'll do a tally of how many victories there are across the alliance for that mission so if you've got five games being played five players per alliance yep. Obviously, the attacker might win two of them, and the defender might win three of those games. In which case, the defending
0: alliance is the victor. It's also so it's not worth just... noting. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. it's also worth worth noting that the size of the game determines how many points you get as well. So, the bigger the game, the more points it's worth. If you yeah, win. that's
1: similar to the sort of war zone points system we've seen um, in these campaigns previously yeah and then each phase has its own weight of strategic points to determine the overall campaign winner so even if one alliance wins phase one and two the campaign as a whole is still um, up for grabs in phase three potentially um, so yeah so uh, your campaign master will have decided what each of these victory bonuses are going to be um, for each uh, each game in each phase and well we can go through some examples here but they all offer various bonuses but the key thing is that the victory bonus applies to the entire alliance and it remains active for the entire campaign so ultimately over your nine games you're going to end up with an accumulative of eight different victory bonuses which will be awarded uh, between the factions Based on how they perform in each round of each phase.
2: Okay. So
1: by the time that you get to game nine, in the uh, the third game of the third phase, there's gonna be a lot of Victor bonus um, influences on that game.
0: <laughs> but yeah. they're not massively. They're flavourful, but not game-breakingly horrible. I feel. Personally. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the one that I rather quite enjoyed is ah, oh, where is it? The one where you can. Uh, so there's the first couple do something to do with the the shadow realms and stuff. Oh they're, they're, no, sorry, the first ones are the ones where which they uh, allow you to do a particular stratagem for zero CP, which I quite like. So they just give you a, like a free stratagem for the game. Of whichever one it is yeah um, so for example
1: nice. um, legendary heroes once per battle when you use an epic deed stratagem and um, so things like you know fight on death you know fight twice stuff like that yeah um, and that costs you zero CP so you know so long as your alliance has won that victory bonus at some point in the campaign you can always do one epic deed stratagem for zero CP um, per game and then there's one of those for each of the types of stratagems you know so a
0: war gear stratagem, a battle tactic strategy and so on and the, the other one which I really like um, because it's very it's it's less it's less sort of game it's more more narrative where it's delaying tactics which is each uh, the idea is that basically if you get a draw you get an extra point because you fought off the enemy and just kept them in one place which i really really Uh enjoy oh
1: yeah Um, lines of retreat if you lose a battle at the end of the battle roll off with your opponent if you win the roll off you gain one additional planetary assault point which is like the campaign victory points
0: yeah it's such a cool little yeah we managed that we lost but we held them to we held them to you know we fought for every inch and they they couldn't take it and we got an extra point for it hooray
1: there's um, one that's called like mobile reserves. Once per turn, if this mission uses strategic reserves, which it probably will be doing because of shadow missions, um, one of your strategic reserve units can arrive from strategic reserve as though the battle round were one higher than it actually is. So you could have a unit appear on turn. You could have a unit appear on turn one as though it's turn two, and a unit appear on turn two as though it's turn three, which includes the obviously the different conditional areas they can appear in so yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. You, that's you know again a not insignificant benefit
0: no but not so massively game it...
2: sorry yeah exactly so um so how are these applied uh is it the you know, whoever's writing the campaign writes each of yes. these bonuses in potentially regarding in each stage so how i've done it is
0: I have tried to so you you get them as a victory bonus so your if you win that um there's a reward for each mission so if you win if your side wins that mission your side then your alliance then gets that reward and what I've yeah. tried to do is when I've written the the phase one is try to match the reward to what the missions are that they're doing so for example in yes. landing in the in the sort of like um Ah, so in the first one, in my head cannon, the orcs are attacking an orb- orbital plate in a sort of trying to shut down the guns. So they can. So whoever wins that gets orbital support because if you, if the guard win, then they carry on having the orbital plate. If the orcs win, then they get it and they get to use it against the planet. So it's it's that kind of stuff. So you, yeah. that's how I would instigate them. You can't, I suppose, you can't roll for it, but yeah, read. there's yeah. um
1: so that's. So... A... In the case of like, the pre-written examples, the first mission is the recon patrol mission, and if you win it, you gain the superior intel
2: victor bonus. Because your reconnaissance yeah. has been successful. So that's the, uh, the narrative going in there. Yeah. And funnily enough, that one is the only
1: instance where you as an alliance could earn this bonus reward more than once, and it is cumulative. So in the case of superior intel, at the start of your command phase, you roll a D six, and on a six, you receive two command points for that turn instead of one for your bonus. Uh, okay. And if you if you have this bonus more than once, you add additional ones to this dice to a maximum of plus three. So if you add Spear intelligence like four cool. times, you would be getting your um, extra command bonus <laughs>
2: command point on the four plus. So yeah, in in terms of who dictates, I suppose it, when you, you're they're yeah it's whoever's writing the campaign then yes or whatever you So i suppose when you're doing group. it yeah so i guess you could decide that the there is a list that you get to pick from or something or or like you say you could roll for it or whatever um and you presumably have to be careful to design it in such a way that you wouldn't um kind of give out bonuses that can't be used or, or aren't really relevant. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. They, they are
0: all... I, I, I can't think of a situation where they wouldn't be relevant because they're not necessarily in-game bonuses.
1: One thing um, to clear up as all that, I'm not sure if, if it's been obvious or not but in the case of the victor bonus it's one bonus predetermined for the entire stage of that tree so it's not like every individual mission has its own bonus. Hmm. so like mission one has a bonus mission two whichever one you play has the same victor bonus yeah mission three which right. could be one of three all have the same victor bonus regardless of which one gets played
0: i okay. don't see yeah. why you couldn't do it as individuals though I don't there's yeah, no reason why at all that... this yeah, was so just they... obviously a
1: simplicity decision if yeah that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You know?
0: Um, And I think if you want to go via the the narrative sort of side of things, and if you've gone like, well, this particular mission is because of this, then you would go via what feels right, I think, more than anything else.
2: Mm -hmm. Is there scope for having a situation where, uh, depending on if the attacker or defender side wins, they get a different bonus? Potentially. Yeah, potentially. It would make sense if the mission is a sort of a very skewed attacking, defending mission that they could both get different things like narratively out of that mission
0: that's where you would on the tree if you had a different sort of attacker defending, win it it wouldn't be that they'd won it wouldn't be that because you've won the particular mission you would get it but what you would do is you would put two different bonuses for two different missions and therefore Hmm. if the attacker wins the previous mission they would get to fight for that particular um, victor bonus but it could mean that the Defender gets it as well, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as with a lot of these things, it's a great starting point to basically, you know, flavor it to taste, (laughs) as it were. (laughs) You know, you you can add layers of complication, you can simplify it, you can adjust it based on the number of players, because I think this is really interesting how, whilst, like, a lot of these campaigns have been designed... To be played by a group of people, so typically like a game club or you know a small group of players that play together as a play group. I think this is the first campaign system like this we've seen for Ninth Edition that could actually work really smoothly and neatly for just two players.
2: Yes, which, which is how I was thinking it. that.
0: Yeah, it's actually yeah. this is how I'm going to run it because then I, I've got a regular player who, are, who funnily enough, has orcs. And it means that I can actually do this properly, which I'm quite looking forward to doing.
1: Um, yeah, like I think this is actually going to be a great pick up for anyone who has a regular opponent, and you regularly play with two armies of choice. Like this gives you some potential little structure and yeah. ongoing narrative between just your series of games that you play with your friend on the regular. Definitely, it
0: gives it. it, it gives, I think
2: it's. Um... I, was gonna say, I think that, that represents quite a significant portion of the, the community and the people who want to play Crusade right?
1: Yeah uh, like you said it really could be the structure to a narrative Crusade campaign played between you and your buddy and your two Crusade forces
3: mm-hmm. in
1: fact the whole phase system would even allow you to neatly just say between phases we're going to
0: up the power rating of our orders of battle by 50
1: you know, each phase if you wanted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, like, if you were playing it, um, if you were doing a crusade, like, as rules is written, which sounds a bit weird saying that for (laughs) a narrative thing, but that's (laughs) the only drawback I see, is you would need to specify to your players that at this particular phase, um, the power level goes up to your option. The amount of option you can take for your army goes up by X number of power level because it gets to there's no sort of switchover point because it, it, it basically says you're now playing incursion or you're now playing strike force. Where well, if you haven't put power yeah. level into your forces, you can't. So, I would yeah. say, yeah, I would I actually think have, would have pre to make built
3: it
1: a, a full each phase has a predetermined value for yeah. crusade force.
0: And I would actually, if I was doing it as an event, um, like a campaign day, which I could so see doing this, um, I would actually say you don't need to put any power. uh, You don't need to put any requisition points into buying upgrading your power level. That will automatically upgrade upgrade every time. And you just say this is what you're. you, You have a pool to choose from, and then the rest of your requisition points can be done on whatever you want yeah I mean the beauty of doing
1: it as an event is you could say that for the event you have an order of battle that has a value of you know 100 um, uh, power level Yeah. and on day one all the missions played are going to be 50 power level games yep. um, and then on day two all the like, missions that are played are going to be 75 power level games and then if you have a three day, a day event 100 or whatever you know for the third day so you don't your order of battle itself doesn't change you so it's not like yeah. overnight or between yeah. games you're having to work out how you're changing your order of battle but the total allowance for the games
0: you're playing goes up from day to day to pull from that order of battle we should so organize this Tony this, this is a thing I feel like this is a thing that we should do I feel it's like becoming this is a thing, thing is it it's becoming a thing I feel like this this could be potentially a a first narrative wargamer podcast event type thing, which I would happily, happily run with you, because it, it sounds awesome. I just need to find a venue then.
1: <laughs>
3: no, that's next.
1: Um, so yeah, um, so that's like the gist of how the campaign itself is going to be run in terms of like, outside of the individual games, sort of the campaign. However, the uh, the Pancalis breakout assault say yeah Let we used my words correctly the Pancalis assault campaign does introduce two new sort of gameplay mechanics that can be used in any and all games sort of the I think the intention is that it's assumed they'll be in effect unless the campaign master decides otherwise, you know, for any sort of given game. And they behave basically in a similar way to how strategic reserves behaves as a optional mechanic available to both players in any given game of ninth edition where you don't have to make use of it but it is there and it's a tactical option available to you
0: it, it's the coolest mini game ever
1: <laughs> well so there's, cool game. Like, a, there's, a, there's, so there's two there's cool. two parts to this so we'll get to the shadow missions in a minute because that's kind of like how i've mentioned before in the case of like with plague purge where it introduced basically here's another series of 12 universal stratagems these things are going to massively impact and change how you play a standard game of nine fed if these were just available all the time like in your standard match play these next two mechanics i yeah. that we're going to talk about i could see exactly that i could see these being part of you know 10th edition standard match play rules and they would really have a big shake up on how the game is played if these were just available all the time so the first of which is concealed deployment now this behaves in the same way to strategic reserves in the in the deployment step you can spend x amount of command points to do a unusual deployment method for x amount of units based on their total power rating so in the case of Strategic Reserves, that's putting units off the table who are then going to arrive at a later date, yep. as it were. Concealed deployment is you take that X number of units you've paid XCP for, and when you deploy them, instead of placing the unit on the table, you place essentially a blip counter in the style of dealer cults. Right. You place a hidden um, marker which you have noted what unit that marker represents and then after both players have set up their armies before you do like redeploy stratagems and like scout move stuff both players uh, reveal what their markers are and then set up the appropriate units within you know an inch or whatever of that marker so when you're playing your i go you go deployment drops and You've got your imperial knight or your gorkenot or whatever, and they've got two or three like repulsers, and they're just waiting for you to drop the big knight so that you they know where to put their big <laughs> anti-tank weapons. Well, now you could pay CP and put down three blips, and instead they don't know when it comes to doing drops which one is the knight and which one is the squad of scouts. Yes, you
0: can't do Titanic okay, or fine. aircraft. Well, bad example I, yeah sorry I was just thinking that. I was thinking, hang on I, I, I was I, I'm sure I read that you couldn't do yeah so Catan calls, Shard it, it makes sense, you know, which then, makes something, sense
1: something like that you know that sort of significance
0: <laughs> I love either. the idea of a Catan Shard trying to hide <laughs> shh hey, it could here. easily
1: be a Catan Shard of the Deceiver
0: yeah, yeah I'm not here shh all a figment of your imagination.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so like the idea where when you play in that almost mini game of deployment, where you know they're going to want to put down the exterminators, uh, so not exterminators, the eradicators. You know they're going to want to drop those yep. opposite your battle wagon or whatever. Well, for yes, some CP uh, it
2: just occurred to me that I don't think the um, the uh, the kill rig isn't Titanic, is it? It is no. not. <laughs> <laughs> try and hide that
1: you um, see so yeah, and, and basically that's the general gist of concealed deployment it's quite simple but the you know the wordiness of it all helps describe you know exactly what to do and all the rest of it you know like if you've got a 20 man squad technically only the first model you place has to be within an inch of the marker so you could kind of deploy yeah. it to one side or the other you know depending on you know Shenanigans, but can you imagine again how if yeah. this as a mechanic was available in standard match play, how much that would be talked about? Uh,
0: it's, I mean, uh, yes, yeah. it would be it, wild. It, it 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 it's 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 nice that they're still going back to the stuff that was in previous editions, like concealed. Because you, you used to have concealed deployment in In the old editions as well um and it was like tokens it's very similar so i'm glad they're not getting rid of it because it is all those things are so sort of integral to the history of the game as well so i sound like such an old man (laughs) don't
1: (laughs) don't, don't, don't go there like last episode when i was talking to alex and adam like They both only yeah they played when they were kids when they were younger but they've only really properly been playing since like 2018 and I'm sad I went no I I, I've been consistently playing since I was seven years old like I remember the release of like the Armageddon campaign book I remember the Eye of Terror (laughs) like I've been playing all right Dave. Right, (laughs) yeah. That's why I like having Dave on the show because he makes
0: me feel like I'm not the old cop. (laughs) Dave makes everyone feel like they're not old. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Love you, Dave. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Um.
1: So yeah, that's that's concealed deployment, which is assumed to be an available option to you if you're playing any games in the Pankalas Assault Campaign, which I think is cool. And then we have Dan's, S. yeah. Then we have Dan's favorite. <laughs> Daniel's favorite part of the uh, rules, which is the shadow missions. It's so Would cool. you like to run us through it, Daniel? Oh,
0: I can. So basically, it's like a mini game within 40k, and you get to. So whenever you put a unit in in strategic reserve, they they can essentially do something like they're actually they're not like sitting in the wings waiting to, for their moment to shine. They're actually off behind enemy lines blowing stuff up or or like uh, one of them is uh, sabotaging something or raiding something. And basically, it, you can choose to bring them on or you can hold them off. It basically, on the first turn, you can bring on this, sorry, turn two, you can um, choose a mission to go for and then you have to roll for it and depending on the turn, depends on how difficult it is and, and you can get bonuses and this is where the Vic, uh, the victor uh, bonuses come into it because you can add bonuses to it and, and different things only elites and troops can do it and they have to be over ten or under ten you can 't have more than ten uh, troops or elites and basically if you complete them it gives you a little a tiny little bonus for example um, uh, so disrupt supply lines at the start of each of your command phases roll a d6 on a 5 plus your opponent does not receive the battle forge cp for that turn <sighs> very exciting um and there's all sorts of ones that you can get like war they cost stratagems cost more or, or, or it's a bit like Kalexas 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 assassin um, stratagem where things cost more um But um, if you fail that and you don't roll because they are not easy to do they're all 6 pluses and one of them is a 7 plus there are sort of modifiers um, depending on power level but if you fail it you can keep them off for an additional turn and then the mission gets slightly easier because you've been doing it longer and then you can bring them on but it's so cool because it's very reminiscent of paratroopers going in and taking out enemy guns and oh it's just awesome
1: yeah so (laughs) Um, to regular listeners and to um, Dan yourself, basically think the damn Buster scenario that we've played with that theatre of war it's yeah. the idea that your unit strategic reserve is busy doing a mission before it arrives and this is the evolution of yeah. that which is funny because I'm pretty sure I remember when we originally talked about this in the Flashpoint x many months ago that I thought this feels like really interesting experimental ground that they're treading for rules, and I will be surprised if we see something similar to yeah. this in a future publication that's more developed.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's um, it it makes me think of how in match play games you often have like a unit that stays off the board and then comes on to do like retrieve Octarius data or something like that, and and that's its entire job. Uh, it's it's kind of like that. In that there's a but there's actually a narrative for it. It's not just turning up on a board and doing nothing. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it does that before it turns up on the board, and then and it can something. turn up on the board and do something.
0: Yeah, it's it's so cool.
1: So in terms of like the stipulations, basically, it kind of represents kill team
0: more or less without
1: being kill team, yeah. because. Um, you can. it has to be either a troop unit or an elite unit, it can be a maximum of 10 models, um, but if it's an elite unit, it gets plus 1 on its success rolls. Um, if it's got a power rating of greater than... Um, if it's got a power rating between 6 to 10, it gets plus 1 on the table. If it's a power rating of 11+, plus, so if you've got a small elite unit with a high power rating... It's far more likely to complete these missions because you're getting a plus two bonus, and as an elite unit, it can reroll what well, rolls of a one. Um, nice. You can do all this for free, in the, it doesn't cost you anything to set a unit on a shadow mission, but you're only allowed to send one unit on shadow mission. So you could have multiple yes. strategic reserves. Okay. And, I mean, I guess the cost is the fact that you have to have somehow got that unit into strategic reserve be it either cp mission stipulation yeah. special rule whatever originally made it a strategic reserve unit is the cost
0: of allowing it to go do a, a shadow
1: mission yeah
0: um and also it has to i believe it has to be in strategic that's the other thing they can't be in deep break or teleport it's got to be in strategic reserve when you put yeah. them Yes, Yes. it's not
1: just a unit that is not set up on the battlefield, it is specifically a strategic reserve unit. So, if you wanted to do this with a unit of Terminators, because they're an elite unit that's going to have a high power rating, when they arrive, they're going to have to walk on from a table edge, not Deep Strike, because they've come from strategic reserve.
2: Yeah, you'll have to pay the CP
1: for it. Yeah. (laughs) And then the two sort of, well, yeah, not only that, but also they're not going to be able to appear just nine inches away anywhere on the table, because they're not yeah. teleporting; they're actually arriving from wherever they've already been deployed.
0: It's yeah. sort of more like for your like commando units, or um, it's kill team, I of, basically. Yeah, it's team. Any sort of, I've got images of my cadian uh, veteran squads just going right here are our, here here's our, you know squad of veterans that have gone off they've gone up blow up an ammo dump and then come back on and gone right what, what next
2: yeah
1: and then there's sort of two other little stipulations are that um, if your team succeeds in its mission in turn two they have to then arrive on strategic reserve that turn they can't wait till turn three to show up because they've completed whatever they were doing they're now joining the main battle it's a small thing but it's a condition um, secondly, when your unit does arrive from strategic reserve, you basically have to take dangerous tests for the unit. So you roll dice per model in the unit. I don't know one use um, <laughs> of you su- you've suffered a model wound or a models. I think it's a model has died um, because it represents the casualties they've suffered on mission. Right. So yes, maybe those Deathwing Terminators are going to be really good at assassinating someone (laughs) but you then have to take dangerous tests to represent any casualties they may have suffered while they were busy assassinating the gene stealer patriarch you know (laughs) um and yeah yeah and, and then ultimately the reward for all of these is some kind of basically cp penalty so it's either um makes the battle round bonus, not guaranteed and it's based on a dice roll, or it increases the CP cost of a type of stratagem, so it's either war gear strats, strategics, epic deeds, blah blah blah, or the hardest one to achieve causes all um, core stratagems to cost one more CP for the rest of the game, for
2: your opponent. Do you
0: see two CP rerolls Ooh. Go on. Mm-hmm. Or oh, three three CP to fight, interrupt to fight. Ooh.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. Yeah, free CP, auto pass morale.
0: Yep.
1: (laughs) So yeah, like the shadow missions are basically, you know, take a kill team esque style unit in forty k, put it in strategic reserve, and if it succeeds, it becomes a Caldas assassin in terms of effect it has on your opponent.
0: (laughs) Such a cool little mini game.
1: Yeah, and that's not to account for the fact that your opponent is probably also going to be attempting to do this to you too.
0: Yeah, and and this is where the victor bonuses come in because a lot of the victor bonuses are you can add modifiers or or even subtract modifiers. I think one of them is like elite sentries, so if someone tries it on you, you can minus one to the roll, um, which is quite cool. Yeah. Um... Cool.
1: Then I would just say as a smaller side, in the spirit of everything we talk about on this show and the alternate ways of taking systems and applying them, this is a perfect candidate to try out parallel games, where perhaps rather than doing this whole succeed role attempt, you actually just play a game of kill team as a parallel game to determine um, who wins. Like if both yeah. of you are using a shadow mission and you both have a shadow team, play a game of kill team. With those teams and whoever wins that
0: game gets the bonus yeah and then (laughs) you could also it would even work for applying the casualties as well because you'd be like yeah need up of a rolling you actually
1: just have whoever the survivors of the mission were show up
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i mean and that would make you go oh do i really want to lose that many more so yeah i think
2: that's
0: a a fun idea (laughs) there's a a lot of potential for that Mm
2: Yeah, that one's that one's pretty much the the obvious tie-in, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> like here's here's Octarius books, here's Kill Team. We're not saying you should combine these two, but so yeah,
1: so that is everything sort of relating directly to the Vankalis uh, Assault campaign in itself. But then we're going to move on now to look at the sort of the crusade layer of rules that also then are applied to this campaign if you're choosing to play it as a crusade campaign. So especially in the case of if, as we were talking earlier, playing your two-player aside crusade campaign, this is also sort of brilliant for that. So as has always been the case, as soon as you have a crusade force take part in any game in this particular campaign system they gain a new campaign badge congratulations them <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can now have your obolus veterans your agvon uh, explorers uh, your pankalus assault troops <laughs> you can have acquired many battle honors now and medals for your crusade fighters um and in doing so, this you know gives them access to unique battle trades, campaign agendas, fortification upgrades, and requisitions. So, again, as I've said before, technically these are supposed to be rules that are tied exclusively to this campaign system. But I also think a lot of them could be of use to a general crusade campaign, especially if, say, you're playing with a particular friend or a particular group of players. I think having access to some of these would just be great. For example, campaign agendas are a brilliant example of this, as we'll get to. Whereas by like, the battle traits, okay. maybe not so, because they're more tied to um, the, like, the mission pack missions, to be honest, in this instance. So, yeah, so we'll just run through them. Uh, so, first of all, we've got some new battle okay. traits. Uh, So some of these are tied to the campaign mechanics we've talked about. There are six non-monster, non-vehicle unit traits and three monster slash vehicle unit traits. So, um, again, Daniel, any particular favourites you want to highlight?
0: Um, Oh, the ones that I quite liked. I mean, there's, there's some really nasty, not nasty ones, some really sort of... You look at them and go, okay, there's the extra Shadow Mission ones, but the, the Destined for Greatness one is quite good, just because it just gives you more experience points. You just get more experience points, um, which I always like because then you just can do more things with the units. Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's
1: like Destined to Greatness is a trait where whatever this unit is marked for greatness, it gains five XP instead of three.
0: Which is cool. And then Sentinels cool. very good as well with the whole um, you-can-shoot units um if the unit is not engagement range uh, sorry at the end of the reinforcement step of your opponent's movement phase if it is not if this unit is not in engagement range of any units it can shoot as if it was sh- sh- in the shooting phase so it's basically your sentry guns and sort of like they well, it's, come out, down, and you should...
1: it's basically you gain the battle trait or spec scan
0: yes <laughs> it's very <pretty> cool
1: <laughs> Like that's what it is, It's like this unit can basically shoot at enemy units arriving within twelve inches of it.
0: Without them. the minus one to hit penalty. hmm
3: Um
1: and then there's some that have like two parts to them, so things like Planetary Invader. Um whilst this unit is wholly within your opponent's deployment zone, it has objectives secured. If it already has it, it counts as double models. Um and enemy units cannot fire overwatch or set to defend against this unit. So, there's some interesting ones, and a couple of the um, rewards and stuff in here might say, you know, gains a battle trait of this type. You know, Um, I think the mission pack refers to these battle traits as some examples that you can gain as a mission reward.
0: These ones, interestingly, unlike a lot of the ones in the little mission packs, are much more generic. And a less sort of, you get this particular point or, or this particular skill for this particular set of missions. So these ones are a lot more useful in other campaign settings, like the planet, like the defender ones, the sentinel ones, and the extra, which I which I think is quite cool. So they're they're less sort of specific to that campaign.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there's there's a selection of new battle traits which are just options now and um, especially if again you play with a codex that doesn't necessarily have its own battle traits and own crusade rules yet yeah um, then you know this is another place you can pull from so you know it's just a good resource for um, more options for your units especially if something just feels appropriate to whatever that unit has just achieved in game in order to gain its level up
2: um
1: and yeah. then we've got what I would say is kind of like, one of the main features um is the campaign agendas so tell me dan do you like agendas
0: just in general or yeah i yeah i like i do like agendas I find the only thing with agendas is that I lose track of agendas quite quickly. Is <laughs> the problem I have with agendas? Would would you like some
1: extra? <laughs> would you like some extra super agendas to go with your mission agendas? agendas.
0: Mission agendas. I I feel I feel like, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess, um, guess other than you can probably guess what these are without me even telling you. Do you want to? Do you want to? take a guess as to what you think a campaign agenda is
2: so it's an agenda so it's an extra agenda that is applied across the entire campaign
1: so yes basically you got it you got it right dan because this is a agenda that you pick at the start of the campaign and you basically follow a tally of information you know for the conditions you're trying to achieve and if by the end of the campaign you have achieved them you gain a reward so that okay. you get to you get to pick two of these campaign agendas at the start of the campaign and have them ongoing. And basically, they're not going to have any effect on the campaign itself other than the fact that you're trying to achieve them. And by doing so, your crusade force is then going to get a reward at the end. So this is more big picture cool. you know, crusade stuff because it's actually not going to have an effect on your next nine games other than the fact that you're trying to achieve these.
0: Yeah. this is more sort of if you play Crusade really regularly um, yeah it is,
1: the, the, again this is one of those things where you can see it's become a little bit of a victim of uh, Covid times where if people had been by this point playing an entire years worth of Crusade games as much as they wanted then this probably would be a welcome addition, whereas right now maybe not as many people have gotten to that point really to have had yeah. this many
0: games This is, I would say this is the not the weakest part of the book, but I would say this is the least useful. Because it's book. it's it's
1: big picture, it's long term. Like you say, it's going to take multiple campaigns for you to see the real influence of these. So, for example, one of these agendas is called Empire Builder. Keep an Empire Builder tally each time you use the Increase Supply Limit requisition during the campaign, and add one to your builder tally. At the end of the campaign, if your empire builder tally is five or more, you gain five experience points to distribute freely across pancalus assault units in your crusade force. If your empire builder tally is ten or more, you get you also gain d six requisition points. Cool. Yeah, that's quite big. Mhm. Um, you've got stuff like. i quite like this one um especially if you're playing in a gaming club so you got first among equals you can select this campaign agenda if there are two or more players in your alliance keep a first among equals tally at the end of each stage of a campaign if you contributed (laughs) the most planetary assault points to your alliance add one to your first among equals tally at the end of the campaign, you gain a number of experience <laughs> points equal to double this tally to distribute freely across units uh, in your Crusade Force. In addition, if your first among equals tally is five or more, you gain D3 requisition points. So it's literally competing with your allied generals to prove who can uh, the win the yeah. most.
0: <laughs> yeah, who's the best. best. Such a guardsman won that one.
1: Um, and then... This one, Dan, though, I do feel would be your go-to choice if you were playing with your ad because you know how you like yourself some crusade relics. Oh. Well, now you can get yourself a campaign oh, yes. agenda to go with your agendas to gain relics. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so this is Relic Hunter. Keep a Relic Hunter tally each time a character from your crusade force gains a crusade relic during the campaign. <laughs> so... um. Add one to your tally if it is an artificer relic, two if it's antiquity, and three if it's a legendary relic. So you're definitely gonna be hunting that vortex grenade.
3: Yes.
2: Gimme the vortex grenade.
1: At the end of the campaign, if your relic hunter tally is six or more, so that's a lot, you gain ten experience points to distribute amongst character units in your crusade force that gained a crusade relic during the campaign. Ooh.
2: Tasty. I was going to say, uh, uh, so a legendary relic is like four points, right? So that's three almost points. all the way up there. But, well, it, I thought it was plus three for the relic. Um... Say. Legendary. In any case, it's a big yeah. chunk of it. So if you got one of them, you'd be thinking, oh yeah, I've nearly scored that. But then he's already got, if he's a legendary one, he's already at the maximum rank. So you can't give him any more experience points.
1: I mean, I guess true, but what it does mean is that if you... I mean, I guess you could
2: you could give him experience points. You just can't do anything with them.
1: Well, the tally is uh, across your order of battle, but the rewarded XP is just given to any characters on your order of battle who have gained a crusade relic. So you could have a guy who's so you'd you'd have one like earning the exp- earning the tally points yeah. and you have one who's got a base level relic who then can be given the XP as a result
2: Yeah. so it's like here hold my amazing relic and get some experience points yeah, it's,
1: it's clearly his, um, it's his apprentice oh, isn't
2: hold, it hold my beer <laughs> it's his adept in yeah. training gaze upon the wonder of the vortex grenade
3: <laughs>
2: do not pull
1: the pin do not count to 11. We'll have none of it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that's Crusade Agendas. Um or, sorry, Campaign Agendas cool. even. Um, and then we've got Fortification Upgrades. So uh, the reason why Fortifications are a bit of a thing in this book is because they play a role in the continent Mission Pack. So, because in the containment missions you're playing Planet Strike, the defender gets X amount of additional fortification network units they can use for free. Um, And in addition, they're also able to um, basically upgrade any fortifications that are part of their actual order of battle. So you can have a signature building or defense or whatever.
0: Which makes me think, do they like... When they need to move to a different battle area, they sort of like take it apart brick by brick and then <laughs> reassemble it brick by brick, just because it it has to be that particular fortification.
1: I mean, in the case Maybe. of Orcs and Admech, I could definitely see that being exactly the case. Yeah or oh, in the case of the space marines they just um, re- relaunched the Hammerfall. <laughs> well like I said, in the case of the yeah. Space marines they just relaunched the hammerfall bunker back up to the ship. <laughs> yeah.
2: I just
0: like the idea of a, a building having some sort of personality.
2: <laughs> could just have a nice plaque on the front.
0: Yeah, yeah. Here here be this is the bu- this is building hab block 616. Here, here, It's oh, it's a blue plaque. You get a little blue plaque. The historic blue plaque. Yeah, yeah. You get a little blue plaque every time you get a, a, a an upgrade. You just get a little blue plaque saying <laughs> here, this this was a thing.
1: <laughs> ten, 10 days about an accident. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the fortification upgrades themselves, I think, are quite cool. Um, there's basically a bunch of them. What, like, three, six, nine? There's ten different upgrades, um, which they would cost you one requisition point per upgrade, and any fortification can have up to three upgrades. And they would do a series of cool things, which include things like uh, increasing the transport capacity of it, if it's, if it's like a bunker or equivalent, um, giving it a yep. vulnerable save, if it didn't have one, um, increasing its wounds characteristics. Okay. Um, stuff like that. Just basically making them better. There's, there's an escape hatch that means that you don't have to... Take, yes. Yeah. Like escape hatch meaning that you don't have to take dangerous checks for any models inside when the building's destroyed. Stuff like that. Um, and these would all be quite cool additions and I think would work brilliantly to add some character to your buildings in your order of battle for Crusade. I just take... Slight issue with a couple of the...
0: Is it the same thing I'm about to say? I think it's probably. the same thing well, I Probably. Well, put have. this way.
1: Yeah. I, I have three different little issues with this in terms of how it actually plays out as a practicality. Um, and I personally probably just ignore these in terms of house rules <laughs> or adjust them slightly. So um, so first of all, technically, it's only supposed to be applicable to unaligned buildings. So it means no racial terrain features, i.e. boss head bunkers, or equivalents, hammerfall bunkers. Because technically it's only supposed to be the things that are listed in this book, so stuff like the Bastion, the um, Fortress of Redemption, which is somehow unaligned, despite clearly being a Dark Angel
3: fortification.
0: Well, Yeah, that's, that's something I noticed on a slight addendum, they've almost retconned it not to be Dark Angels. Yeah, it's, it's just a, generic, yeah, imperial it's, it's generic Imperial yeah. Gothic. It's generic
1: Imperial Gothic. Like, Skyshield landing pad, unaligned, and so on. And yeah, you can obviously convert these things up to look like more appropriate to your race. Like, an, a, you know, an old Dari shield landing pad is just going to be made of Wraithbone and stuff like that. It's going to function the same. But I think it's a shame that you can't technically do this to your um... <sighs> what's what's the town called? The the tide wall? The floaty disc thing. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, the tide wall. Floaty disc thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so first of all, I would just ignore that because I think that spoils half the fun if you can't actually have your racial terrain features be upgraded. I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Secondly, the fact that technically this is locked off behind this campaign system and you need to be playing in this campaign, to unlock this campaign badge, to be able to use these, when I think this would be a brilliant, just general upgrade system for anyone that is using fortifications in their crusade campaigns, because I don't think it's going to break the game in any
0: way. <laughs> I mean, fortifications are not really the greatest. Of exactly. Weapons so... <laughs> in your arsenal. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> but, and I but, agree. I, mean, I, I haven't seen fortifications even in narrative play for a very long time (laughs) so yeah i would i would say it should be
1: but then i'm guessing uh daniel are you gonna say that your point of contention is the out of action equivalent yes
0: for these that's silly i mean no just it really annoys me that 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 really i don't know why it winds me it's like here's your blue plaque you spent ages getting it ready you put your blue plaque on and then somebody comes along and graffiti's on it and you can't use your blue plaque anymore. That is the equivalent of why, in my head, kind of, that's, <laughs> that's it's, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It winds me up. You've, like, you've built this really cool fort. It's the, it's the wargaming equivalent of something coming up, to, you're building a sandcastle on the beach and someone coming up and kicking it. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> it, I don't like that. It really wound me up. That's the one thing I, yeah. On a one, two, three, the upgrade <laughs> is lost. So it's not even a, a definite thing. It's a chance, which makes it even worse. Cause you know, you're going to roll that one, two or three. You might as well make it a, it, you're definitely going to lose it. Cause then you at least resign to the fact. Can you see, I'm a bit angry about this. I'm more <laughs> angry than I should be.
1: So yeah, my, um I completely agree. So as, it works, Dan. It's a matter of if this building is destroyed during the game you, you don't make an out-of-action roll in the same way you would do for other units. Instead you just roll one dice per upgrade it has and on a one to three that upgrade is lost. So it's 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 not an all or nothing. Why? So if you've got three upgrades the chances of you losing all three are unlikely. But you're probably going to lose one to two of them. If you've got one upgrade, you've got a fifty percent chance of losing it in its entirety. And the reason why I think it's a real kick in the teeth is because of the fact that each of those upgrades has cost you a requisition point to have originally installed. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't that that be rule. spending I just requisition I point blank
0: wouldn't use that rule. It doesn't even fit with their gaming logic because, in in theory by upgrading a building you're upgrading that single building and that is the building you can't move it around the planet because it's got to stay on that building but yeah if you destroy that building and it's on a different planet then you can never use that upgrade again so you either what you're saying to me is you've upgraded every single building on the planet with that single upgrade and then just suddenly somebody comes down and and what are they all connected via some sort of upgrade building Wi-Fi or why (laughs) what is the logic behind either it's that building and that building in that particular place at that particular time has that upgrade or every single building on your planet has that upgrade so it doesn't matter if one blows up because there's another one somewhere else waiting in a garage for <laughs> to be built it's stupid i don't like it
1: again what i'm getting like I've from this is myself. you you really don't like data tethers do you
0: <laughs> no i don't know <laughs> or data canyons or whatever it is that they're stupid
1: Um, So yeah, honestly, I'd like to just say basically ignore that rule or possibly um, roll for an out of action like normal, and if you roll a one, then do this where you roll for each of the upgrades. Maybe. That's the only way I can see, because then you've only got a one in six chance every time it's destroyed that you have to roll to see if anything happens to fall off. But But the buildings
0: can't gain the buildings can't gain experience, so there's no. Am I right in that? Yeah, so there's no. I don't. So you can't gain experience for a building anyway. There's a limit of three. And they're buildings, so why is why why is that rule in there? It it just seems like. I feel like it even
1: needs to to not cost requisition points and be some other resource. I don't know, even just power level. Do you know what I mean, or something? Just to represent how much it's your force it takes up, or it just needs to rework it as a damage system for these things falling off. Because I don't think they're worth the investment for a requisition point. No, to say that they don't—they're no. not game-breaking improvements. You've got a reasonable chance of it just falling off if this building gets destroyed in a game and you don't have any way of recovering that expense that you've sunk into it which i think is all a real shame because i think the upgrades themselves as a concept is really cool
0: <laughs> yeah they are and they're really cool upgrades void shield like there's void shields underground Monkers, and they're not game breaking because fortifications are not game game breaking there's there's they're just it's a really ah uh, i'm annoyed
1: yeah like i don't <laughs>
0: It's funny how
1: I I kind of appreciate that this exists for us in that I don't want people to think that we just sing the praises of this stuff all the time as being great and amazing Mm. because there are some misses where some (laughs) stuff isn't, you know it just hasn't been executed well and I don't want to overly criticise because I appreciate that this stuff exists and it's there as an option but I just, I really don't see how this one it's almost like it suffers from the same thing that fortifications themselves suffer from, in that it's far too much investment for what you're getting out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it feels like it, it. just it's it. It doesn't feel like a rule. It just feels like someone's being mean. And, yeah, and <laughs> right. Like is it someone kicking over your Yeah, still. yeah. You can't have your toys. You could. You can go somewhere. Else. It's Bella has written this rule. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, to move on then to slightly more uplifting things, um, the last part of the Crusade rules we have for this campaign as a whole is a couple of new requisitions. Ah, yes! Yeah, so we've got uh, three new requisitions that are tied to the campaign mechanics. Um, They're all one requisition point, and basically one of them allows you to assign a second um, Shadow Mission in a game, so you can have two units on Shadow Missions. One of them allows you to select an additional campaign agenda at any point during the campaign. So again, you can try to rack up those long-term goals. Um, And then one of them... um, One of them allows you to purchase this requisition after a battle before rolling to see if any buildings Mm -hmm. in your Crusade Force lose any fortification upgrades as a result of being destroyed this battle. Such upgrades are only lost on the roll of a one. Instead of a one to three,
0: guess which requisition is never getting used. Mm-hmm. Ever.
1: Especially if you've got, <laughs> especially when you consider wow. it's only worth it on a building that's got more than one upgrade. Because if it had one upgrade, even if it falls off, it would cost you one requisition to put it
2: back on.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, on to the better, really cool ones, which are the are the, the um, free new racial race ones. specific. Ah, oh, they're really good. They're really good. Especially to, the orc one. The yeah, orc I was one gonna say. One. So, believe it or great. not,
1: Dan, there is one instance of orc rules in this book, and it is this. And it's
0: the best thing. It's, it, it's, you should pay for this book specifically for this requisition because it's <laughs> amazing.
1: Yeah, no, no campaign, no, no codex supplements, no nope. for armies of renown. Uh, these are coming in our next book, but in this book, we have one requisition for two requisition points. You can you can purchase um, a unit of orc boys when you add them to your order of battle. You can pay two requisition points for them to be octarian rook boys.
0: They're scar boys. They're, <laughs> they're, scar, they're scar boys. You, you basically get scar boys. It's, it's cool.
1: You purchase this requisition when you add a unit of boys to your order of battle. Uh, that unit gains the octarian rook boys keyword. Its power rating is increased by one, and every model in that unit has a strength characteristic of five. And in addition, they immediately gain six experience points and thus gain a battle honor. So you're basically paying nice. two requisition points to have them be strength five and with a natural special role upgrade because they're starting at like rank one rather than rank zero.
0: Awesome! I mean, it is it is two requisition points to. Buy. it's not cheap
1: but then again you would um, probably spend at least one on like the strength bonus i.e. any yeah. kind of specialist unit upgrade you know on yeah. creation so you're basically paying one requisition point for 6xp to start with an initial um, special rule or battle train yeah um, but you are limited to only one instance of a octarian rook boys unit per order of battle so you can't just keep expanding out and out and out in more of them. No. But it's cool. It's cowboys <laughs> because they've it's been they pretty come cool. from Altarius, which is where all the best boys come from. Yeah. Nice. Um. Then we've got an Inquisitorial Agenda for any Imperial forces, which basically is one requisition to allow you to gain an additional Crusade Agenda for that mission. So, Which is
0: okay. Cool. I mean, I mean yeah. and I don't mean that in a in a sort of game sense. I just feel it's a bit lackluster in a narrative sense. It could be a bit more...
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the flavor text for it is pretty funny. <laughs> but it says, <laughs> yeah, in helping an Inquisitor to achieve their <laughs> own inscrutable agenda, a few honored Imperium servants earned the gratitude of the Holy Orders." And the reward for a job well done is typically another job.
2: <laughs> <Fair>.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, in terms of mechanically speaking, it's basically it's a way to turn re- requisition points into XP. Like if you're finding yourself in a position where you've got surplus requisition points, or you don't have anything particularly earmarked for what you want to do, and you don't want to exceed your five requisition point limit, say. Um, you can basically say, I'm going to spend one to gain access to another avenue of XP in my next game. So, so long as you guarantee yeah. that, you know, you're going to be earning it. Even if it's just <laughs> one XP to take Reaper, it's uh, like one requisition point to take Reaper, then you're probably going to get two XP on a unit, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah yeah so the last one is uh vanguard this is for the tyranids um and it can be it can be for any high fleet not just uh leviathan uh vanguard mine feeder one of the driving imperatives imparted to tyranny vanguard organisms during the first stage of planetary invasion is to devour the brains of its prey leaders using the feeder tendrils so they can learn of the foes defences and battle strategies um, and so you get it's, the idea is it's basically your lictors and your yumgar stealers going in and, and sucking on some brains and uh,
2: nom, nom, nom. Chow,
0: chowing down and learning of, of, of the delights that's happening so when you purchase this requisition at the end of the battle if during that battle a high fleet Genestealer, Lictor or Toxicrine or Venom throat from your Crusade army uh, destroyed the enemy Warlord then with a melee attack that Tyranid unit gains 5 experience points and you gain 2 planetary assault points which is really good um, if you're playing the campaign. It's okay if you're, play- if you're not playing the campaign but if you're playing the campaign it's amazing because 2 planetary <laughs> assault points is the equivalent of a draw or a win it's a lot of points it's it's a it's it's really sounds good it's only one one requisition point as well which is is pretty awesome so yeah that is all of the race specific requisitions
1: so that is basically everything really from the campaign itself and the associated crusade rules so yeah in that case then we're going to move on now to the second half of the tonight's show, which is going to be a pair of mini on crusade segments, because believe it or not, we've actually got some crusade rules for the Astra Militarum and the Tyranids in this book, which I'm so is happy. first.
3: Yeah. I'm so happy. great. <laughs> right.
1: uh, so yeah, we'll be back in a second guys to uh, have a little dive through all that. are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast if you are why not check out our community facebook group at narrative wargamer on facebook we share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players we're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists you can also find us on instagram at narrative wargamer and over on twitter at narrative 40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects,
0: you kids listen up now and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like
2: some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper cramping done? without
0: a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captured any of yous without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter
1: is now open for painting commissions. Specializing in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic you can also check out examples of my work over on instagram at
3: narrativewargamer
0: right you kids, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the pink. it better be redder and faster when you get back and make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you you might get some extra special The Emperor, the Emperor protects Astra Militarum and tyrannids, on Crusade.
1: And we're back guys. So this is going to be the first of our back-to-back on Crusades. And actually, it's also going to be the first, well it's going to be a first, in that this is almost like mini-Crusade in a way um which i think is a good thing right so it's clear as when we get into these that these are crusade rules that are meant to be stop gaps for both the Astra military and the tyranids so this is these are your crusade rules before you get your codex in presumably quarter three or four of 2022 <laughs> you know <laughs>
0: stop reminding me
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but it's not a bad thing really because th- th- these are just great little bits of you know things for you to have now in crusade with these armies and it's better than nothing you know like I don't want this to come across as a, a negative where it's like well why couldn't we have full crusade rules I mean this this is very much a positive as I'm sure Daniel is probably going to wax lyrical about <laughs> so go ahead tell, tell us um uh, are we starting with the Guard, I believe? The Astra yeah. Militarum? Yeah, go on. Tell Let us about what we've got
0: now so for the Astra Militarum.
1: We have
0: uh, two... I, I, I think uh, the the needs are the same. So you've got some extra agendas and some extra requisitions. So the agendas are... Um, Here's a really entertaining one, which I'm going to be picking each time because the idea of getting... Um, it's basically forwards for the emperor uh, the grand armies of the imperial guard can overwhelm an enemy positioned by sheer weight of numbers now the idea of me getting six units into my opponent's deployment zone at the end of a game is laughable um quite frankly so but i'm going to be choosing that every single time because the idea of oh, no, st- stuff the mission chaps we're going over the top and we're going to go towards the uh, the horizon over there and if we make it wonderful if not never mind um so even though that one is lovely I very you get one experience you only get one experience points for getting your unit across shots pieces across the battlefield and the lone guy who's left going i made it sir i made it i'm okay yeah. so there's that one which made me laugh um and it excludes aircraft for obvious reasons but the other one which i think is a lot easier to get is Inspire command um, and it's basically are you good at doing orders if so you want this one uh, keep an eye, uh, keep an inspired command tally for each Astro militarium officer unit for your army add one uh, to the unit's inspired command tally each time they issue an order or a tank order to a friendly unit and that unit then destroys one or more enemy units during the same phase at the end of the battle each unit Gains one experience point for every uh, Inspire Command tally that they have, so a maximum of three experience points. I think that one's a slightly easier to do, um, but I like the idea of you just issue orders, and if you destroy something, you get some experience points, which is good. So they're quite fun, very very flavorful uh, yeah. agendas. I definitely will be picking them uh, when I do those, and then the requisitions we we can we can be very pleased about this because the Uplifting Primer is a requisition. Yes, that's right. You can, you can, you you and your guardsmen can now take your can issue uplifting primers to your guardsmen for one requisition point. Um, and I, I like the idea that when you're giving them the uplifting primer, it's like you're at, they've already got one, obviously, because they're guardsmen. But what you're doing is you're just issuing a, a, a more up to date version. Um, I, I
1: particularly so. like the fact that. Uh, so this is a requisition that you give to a unit when it gains rank. So it's not like when yes. it's first added to your order of battle. So it's when your guardsmen have uh, what, what, have reached what is entitled the bloodied rank. that <laughs> the, the high so command really. then feels the need to issue with them with uh, the uplifting primers to raise their spirits. Yes. <laughs> nice.
0: And it... it... It gives them an extra pip of leadership, which is just hilariously useless in a guard army. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and um, at the the other thing it does is it does give an additional experience point if they survive the battle, which is very good. So that that that's quite good. And then the other one is decorated officer, which I think this one is the most useful. Um, requisition uh, sorry yeah requisition which is basically when you purchase an officer or a commissar uh to your order battle that unit gains um uh six experience points and basically is blooded straight away so you basically get an upgraded uh experience commander when when they join you which is very very useful um cool and yeah and then we've got the the battle traits should i move on to battle traits because i sorry i could go on about this I've got a, a, a little um, uh, 40k trivia for you regarding Ooh. the battle traits, which is quite cool. Uh, so I believe, I need to 100% double check, but with the battle traits uh, for the infantry, what they've done is they've taken all the original second edition upgrades that you could do for um, Imperial Guardsman squads, and each one of them is the old second edition Thing so, slick gunners was one, gorillas was one, dead-eyed shots was one, hardened fighters is one, and stealthy was one. I can't remember if um, gorillas was one, but I'm pretty. They're basically all the all the old second-ed upgrades for your infantry, which is sad that I know that, but it's so cool <laughs> that they've gone back cool. to. It is really cool that they've yeah, done sounds that.
1: sounds like it.
0: Because I mean, yeah, I, I didn't awesome. realize
1: that that was a thing. I mean, I. I had a feeling that maybe when we do see the eventual full Crusade rules for guard, we might see the Penal Legion back as a specialist oh, unit, that'd be so cool. like you know, that as a requisition so upgrade. Cool. You can make a unit Penal yeah. Legion. Yeah,
0: yeah if yeah, they or, or, or no, do you know what? It would be better than a, a requisition upgrade. It would be a battle shock, not battle shock. What's it called? The Bad Scar. It's a battle scar. Oh, they've battle scar, Yeah, them. actually,
1: they've become yeah. demoted to pedal <laughs> legions. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would be
0: funny. very cool.
1: But unfortunately, that is not what we have here and now. Instead, yeah. we've got some, like you say, apparently these uh, inherited battle traits from second dead. But mm. um, do you want to give us a couple of examples of the sort of yeah, upgrades um, and abilities your guardsman can now have?
0: Yeah, the interesting ones are slick crews. Really cool. Um, unmodified hit rolls of six, score an additional hit, which is really nice. Um, stealthy, they uh, ignore penalties for moving ground and ranged attack against this unit. They basically count as light cover. There's some, there, Yeah, there's some nice ones. And then there's the vehicle ones. Uh, there's three excluding aircraft, interestingly though.
1: Uh, ah, there's three... I assume that's because the aircraft are not actually the Astra Militarum. Yeah, that is true. They are the... That is true. Um, what is it, what are they called? The Astra... And actually, just yeah, yeah, they're the naval forces, aren't they? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, There's some street fighters is my is my favourite vehicle one, which basically allows you to improve your weapon skill by one uh, for a vehicle, which is (laughs) hilarious. And uh, and (laughs) more importantly, you get to uh, you can shoot into combat without taking a minus one to hit for heavy weapons for your vehicles, which is very cool.
2: Um, That's rather nice.
1: One thing yeah. that I did think was a, a nice touch was that on the Infantry and Militarum Tempestus battle traits, so those first ones we talked about, it excludes conscript units.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I did see that, which I, I can understand why. Yeah.
1: They, uh, the only battle trait they could possibly gain, really, would to be not be conscripts anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well done. You are now a fully-fledged guardsman.
1: Um, and then finally for the Ashton Miller town, we have some Crusade relics, which as, again, a little flavourful side note here, I love the fact that both relics are just medals.
0: Yep, and they should be. There should never ever be any other reddit, relic except medals. And I like the idea of you just turning up and go, here's my decorated officer. It's and, like, the, the final <laughs> relic, if they ever do, like, for the Codex, I would love them to do sort of, like, a pocket watch or something like that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you've got, for the Artificer, you've got one Artificer and one Antiquity. So you've got the Star of Terror. And these are these are really cool because they're mentioned in a lot of the Gaunt's Ghosts stuff because I believe Gaunt has the Star of Terror from, and possibly the Middle Macaria as well. But the Star of Terror gives you a four-up in one and uh you gain a command point um if he's your warlord um if the bear is a warlord
1: i'd I like the fact that the medal can only be given to an officer commissar or commissar lord model it's not like yep. you can have like any other random guard character like your primary psyker or something getting yep. these medals only officers <laughs> could <can> be decorated
0: <laughs> yep definitely um, and then f- there's another one, which is Metal Macaria. And this one's really good. This one is very good. It, um, an officer with this, with a senior officer ability uh, only, which means you can't give it to a platoon commander. So it has to be... It's company commander ready. only, basically. Yeah, company commander only. Um, once per shooting... Uh, once per shooting phase, the bearer can issue two orders to the same unit. That is so good. <laughs> that is so good, and completely makes one of the guardsman relics redundant. But there you go. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we, yeah, we had this debate last time with the whole great chopper making you know any other chopper redundant. Like some of these high-level relics do make the baseline stuff. Pale in comparison once you get there, but the point is this is an antiquity relic, so you know you've
0: taken a while to get there. But yeah, Um, it's it's really cool because the ability to go right first rank fire, second rank fire, and reroll to hit.
1: Yes, (laughs) I I mean I know that since the inductions of orders, as it were, there's been only very few instances where you can issue multiple orders to the same unit. Yeah, like there's plenty of abilities to. Issue additional orders across units, like across several, yeah, yeah, yeah. but doubling up on those rules for a single unit, uh, especially in the case of things like heavy weapon teams, is a uh, particularly
0: tasty. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. I I, 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 would like to see that in main mainstream forty k would be quite nice, but uh, yeah, that's very cool. And that's that's it for guard. That is it. It's very small, but. Uh...
1: But the thing is now, like Very if cool. you is if you play in Militarum and you're, you obviously you've got access to these Crusade relics now. But in addition to that, you could be playing with your amidst the ashes, um, like campaign missions, uh, Crusade missions even, and you could be following the um, awakened machine spirits or corrupted minds. Upgrade mm. trees. Yeah, you, know, you can be playing your resource game with that now, if you want your primary yeah. Psyker to develop additional powers or you want your tank commanders to have particularly noteworthy vehicles under their command you know yeah i you... mean
0: I, I i i feel like those extra little touches allow me to they just give my crusade a bit more character that was all that was missing with the guard is just the lack of character for for them and now i've got a little bit of character with it it's it's much more i want to play with them in crusade more um because they they can get medals, I like the idea of just decorating my officers with medals. well done here's, here's a medal, have a medal,
1: yeah, exactly as I'd like to my point earlier is it's a little thing, but it's a great little thing, you know um, I'd say that you know this is realistically an essential purchase if you're going to play guard on crusade
2: you know. yeah, I, Same true for this
1: um so yeah speaking of which for the uh the space bugs themselves they've got two new agendas also the first of which i do think is uh go on then similarly a little bit ridiculous in terms of achieving it but it'll happen more often than you think i suppose so we've got recover biomass at the end of the battle if there are no enemy models remaining on the battlefield, <laughs> each right. Tyranid unit from your army that is on the battlefield gains free
0: XP points. Yeah, that's, that's a. Fair enough. So that's a high risk, high reward, isn't it, really? Because if yes. you do manage it, that's three per unit. That's a serious amount of experience points.
1: But you have to table the
0: opponent to get anything, yep. otherwise you get nothing. Again, I, I, that harks back yep. to a second edition mission where you they, they had their own missions where they one of the missions they had was they had to wipe out you, you have to wipe out your opponent to win. So that's quite a nice little throwback.
1: Um, and then we've got an agenda which is in the style of um, sort of like match play secondaries we've seen before, which reward you with XP rather than victory points. So this is the Tyrannoform Prey World, and essentially, it's kind of like is it the old Teleport Homers where you had to deploy a thing in your deployment zone, no man's land, and the enemy deployment zone. Right. Because um, in this yeah. case, they're seeding the prey world with the like bio funnels, like you know they're setting up digestion pools. So. Your uh, infantry units can perform an action that lets them set up a marker. They get a tally for those markers and they can be in those three areas I've described. And then each unit gains a number of experience points equal to double its tally if at the end of the battle there are three implanted terraform seed objective markers on the battlefield. One within your deployment zone, one within your opponent's deployment zone and one more than six inches from either player's deployment zone. And you gain one additional requisition point. Which is quite tasty for an agenda tasty. reward. Yeah. And one of those sort of like complicated all or nothing ones where. No, sorry, not all or nothing. You get XP if you achieve one or two markers, and you get additional XP and requisition if you achieve all three. Okay. Um So yeah, it's the the kind of quite big payouts, both those agendas, but they're also not the simplest things in the world to achieve. Not just issue orders as a guard yeah. commander.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, they've actually got three new requisitions. Uh, all of these, I think, are really cool. Um, so, one of them, first of all, is the Synaptic Link. So, this is basically in line with things like custom jobs and um, chief of port for carry upgrades right. and stuff like that that we've seen before, right. where the synaptic link mechanic yeah, now special available rule. to tyranids yeah. yeah in crusade you can't have it off the bat you need to get a requisition point and spend it on a battle hardened or higher synapse creature and it gains its associated upgrade permanently um so that's just tying the new synaptic okay. link system into crusade um but then we've also got the adapt warrior organisms which i think is a brilliant clever idea for, for requisition so for one requisition point, you can select one tyranny unit from your order of battle that has no battle scars. That unit then loses any or all battle traits it currently has, and for each trait it lost, you can now select a new trait. So <laughs> you're cool. you're respecking your class <laughs> on your tyranny cool. units. Yes. So if you've, cool. if you've got three or four nice. battle traits, you're like you know what. I fancy a new configuration of four battle traits. So let's just one requisition restructure this entire unit's upgrades. Oof. Yeah.
0: Very very in tyranny as well. It is, well,
1: isn't it? It's very, very it tyranny well, yeah. adapting to the situation. Um, and then we also have a requisition for the Will of the Hive Mind, which is kind of like the Inquisitorial thing from earlier. It allows you to select an additional agenda for your next mission. Okay. So again, trading requisition for XP potential. And then we have two tables of battle traits, uh, which are split in an interesting manner because it's not the usual sort of infantry versus monsters scenario. Instead, we've got a D6 table for non-Synapse units and a D3 table for Synapse units. Fair enough. Um, with some interesting upgrades available in there. Um, so particularly... What, what was the one that stood out to me? Um, oh, there's, there's mini transhuman in here. <laughs> uh, so one of the upgrades is Biomorphic Physiology, which is if every model in this unit has a toughest characteristic of 5 or less, it has mini transhuman, so can't be hurt on 1s or 2s. Or if it's a unit where every model in it has a toughness of 6 or more, it has transhuman. So, can't be held. all on, ones are freeze, uh, ones twos or freeze, but really.
3: That's really cool.
1: Cool. Um, there's one for swarm units, which causes them to lose instinctive behavior. So, you actually have independent swarm units. Sure. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and enhanced sensors. Each time a model in this unit makes an attack, until that attack is resolved, you could ignore any or all weapon skill, ballistic skill, or hit modifiers.
3: And then a couple nice. of others
1: that are all just good enhancements and bonuses, so nothing shabby there. Yeah. Uh, and then synapse units, we've got there's a synaptic node which adds six inches to the range of this unit's synapse ability. um You've got psychic shadow, which is an aura while friendly high fleet units are within six inches of this. While a friendly high Fleet unit is of a signature of this unit, each time a model in that unit would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound uh, in the enemy's psychic phase on a 4-plus that wound is not lost. So basically psychic shielding. Um, and yeah, that cool stuff, so again, nice upgrades and options for your two units. Um But the yep. last particular standout to me are the Crusade Relics, because... A bit like Daniel mentioned earlier... Because like the, the Tyrannids that... get medals? No, they don't get medals, but what they do get is unique bioform upgrades. Now, as Daniel mentioned earlier okay. with how all the battle traits for the Guard were throwbacks to 2nd Ed, both these Relic upgrades are throwbacks to unique Bioforms from the previous Tyranid Codexes, i.e. Special Characters. So, right. first up... Um, we've got the Spirit Lich Cortex, which is mm. basically the Doom of Valentine.:
0: Don't mention that creature ever. Well, that, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that thing. Yes. The thing was horrible.
2: Well, I then, remember
0: it well.
1: Yeah, in, in terms of effect, you'll probably see the parallels then. So this, this cranial adaptation is seldom encountered. But when it is, it is a, it is the leader beast that, possess, that possesses it, appears to psychically drain the life from its prey, feeding off the psionic essence and gaining great strength
0: from it. Does
1: that sound familiar?
0: That sounds very familiar. Yep. Too familiar.
1: Yep. model only. Each time an enemy unit loses a wound as a result of a mortal wound inflicted by a psychic power manifested by the bearer, the bearer regains one lost wound... They cannot regain more than three wounds per phase. And until the start of your next psychic phase, add one to the bearer's strength characteristic to a maximum of plus three.
3: Nice. So if you smite <laughs> yeah, if,
1: if you smite something for three mortal wounds, you're gaining three wounds back and gaining plus three strength until your next psychic phase.
2: That's, I mean, that's cool, but like the the yeah, I get It'd be it, it, good on a hive tyrant, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Healing
1: itself up oh, and uh, game personally, I, I
0: think it would it would be good on a on a zone Potentially, that would be.
2: <laughs> or narrow um, <laughs> neurothrope, well, Is it the yeah, thom- narrow Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yes, I'm not quite sure what it would do with strength seven or whatever, but I'm sure I'd find something to do. Push ups.
1: <laughs>
0: um,
1: and then the antiquity relic that we have is the Mortrex implant attack. So, do you remember the parasite
0: of Mortrex? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh. Yeah, it's the same same codex, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: So the the yeah. sort of like winged warrior beast which used to implant that's the rippers one.
0: into you. Yeah, that's the one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this bio artifact can penetrate the thickest armor in order to implant dozens of ripper parasites within a host. In seconds, they grow to full size, devouring the host from the inside out and bursting forth in a shower of gore. Each time the bearer makes a melee attack, improve the (laughs) ammo penetration characteristic of that attack by one. Each time the bearer makes a melee attack, an unmodified wound roll of a six inflicts one mortal wound in addition to the normal damage. And each time the bearer fights, if one or more enemy models were destroyed by its melee attacks, excluding vehicles, After the fight is resolved, you can select one friendly unit of Ripper Swarms within 12 inches of the bearer um, and add one model to that unit. Um, (laughs) If any of the destroyed models that you killed were monsters, add D3 models to the Ripper Swarm unit instead. Um, Models can be added to a Ripper unit even if it's an engagement range of the enemy. So it's going to be escorted by some Rippers (laughs) once you get this upgrade. Yeah, that's fun. But yeah, like I particularly like that they're both callbacks to like the Doom of Valentine and the yeah. virus, uh, Parasite that's of nice.
2: <laughs> So yeah.
1: And uh, again, I think it's just there a nice go. little thing for Tyranid players to have. Um, it, it gives you stuff to yeah. upgrade your units with, some nice requisition play now. And again, it's just a nice added extra in the meantime. And I think it's fair to say that If you're a Tune player, chances are you're gonna be getting this book anyway, regardless of these Crusade rules. So you're gonna
2: have them to hand. So it's not not even like it's a big uh, difference as a whole a lot more interesting.
1: Yeah. Um and yeah, that's that's basically everything that we're gonna be looking at from uh Warzone Octarius Book One Rising Tide, because apparently we're Soon approaching the critical mass. That's going to be flowing in book two. So looted orc vehicles. looted vehicles, but yeah. looted vehicles, and <laughs> yes. um, armies of renown, blood axes of that. all the clans to get their codex supplement. So we'll see. It should be interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the only thing left for tonight, guys, is to quickly run through our community spotlights. So. I don't know if uh, Dan himself had anything in mind, but I'm going to beat him to the punch with my choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, yeah, cause my particular spotlight for um, well, this episode really was the battle report with uh, Sorcerer Dave that you yourself were part of, Dan. Yes, the most recent one. Yes, the most recent one. It was a good one. Uh, um, I, obviously, we've our own resident host Dan being part of a battle report I, I had to go watch it, I wanted to uh, see how um, Nipper and Nipper Jr. fared um, yes. and yeah it was it was interesting so it was a fun um, particular game because it was Orcs for the
2: Orcs um, a recurring theme for you yeah. recently with your snake bites yep uh, I've basically just been playing a lot of Orcs and as, as you well know I have played against other orcs.
1: Um, so, yeah, in this instance, it was Snakebites versus Freebooters, and it was very much Squigs versus Machines. So, uh, yeah, it was it was good. So, if you're interested at all in seeing uh, Dan play some 40k uh, on YouTube where you can go watch it all happen, then yeah, it's a good time if you want to go check out the latest battle report from Sorcerer
3: Dave.
2: I certainly enjoyed it, and I think those also, things could do too. There's a cat being an absolute goblin as well. Oh yeah, there is total goblin cat
1: throughout that video as well. It's <laughs>
2: hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I'll uh, I guess I'll add on to that and talk about Sorcerer Dave some more. Cause he has done another video battle report with himself, um, <laughs> as he as he likes to do. Uh which is quite interesting, which um certain certain people of our of our community, I think would be interested in because it was a third edition 40k battle report.
1: Oh, um, yeah, I saw it, like his thumbnail for that, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I thought it interesting. These,
2: uh, yeah, so, so it, it. it's very interesting just from a sort of historical perspective to go back and see what it was like. And obviously, it's very different from nine. edition. Say it like that, <laughs> see what
0: it was like, you young whippersnapper, you with you. <laughs> How dare
2: you? <laughs> See what it was like. For, like I played a lot day, of third edition. It was... I I played a lot of third edition, but it was a long time ago. It <laughs> was not that long ago. It's only about twenty years ago. Um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, it's um. So he, it's basically a, a classic space marines against orcs. Uh, and using all the like half of the codex because the other half hadn't been released then, uh, and it is it's straight up the um, I don't know if you remember the third edition that in the back of the book there were all the the army lists that the most basic format
0: before <laughs> yeah. they had codexes so he's using that
2: again. To, yeah, exactly. So it's the most basic kind of way to play forty k really the old style third edition. Um, so it's it's yeah very interesting for posterity, yeah, so that's a, another one for the listeners to go check out
1: and uh and then finally, Daniel, I don't know if you've got anything
0: yeah I d- you may have already mentioned this in in previous one, but I, I I was scrolling through the old book of face and i I noticed these these interesting terrain projects by Douglas uh misson, I think that's yeah they're sort of, they're called penitent pillars. Uh, and they're just yes. bonkers and i really like them <laughs> they're a bit nuts they're big columns with people strapped to them and they're being i don't know what they're being but they they just <laughs> they're cool they would make some really good um four pillars objective markers it would they would be very because cool for that because they're pillars mainly <laughs> mainly cuz um, oh, I did like
1: that, yeah, too. they're essentially sort of like you know sinners beware. He's taken the pilots from the patent engines that you get and mounted them on them, so they you know they're all um, sinners strapped up with tubes and piping and electronics and all sorts. So uh, yeah, they are very much been made an
0: example of by imperial law. Yep, pillars
1: Yeah, that's yeah. You know. Clearly, they did not have enough purity points.
0: No. No, they're very sad gone upset. What they've done is obviously they're there because they've been knocking down other people's sandcastles.
1: <laughs> well, who knows? If if anyone knocks over their pillar, there's a 50-50 chance they'll fall off.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. And on that note...
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's probably a good place to call it tonight. So yeah, it's... Uh... It's been an interesting first foray into Octarius. Um, Rest assured we will be looking at Mission Pack Containment in the next episode. There will in the near future be a 40k Fun Facts Octarius edition. However the breakneck pace of book 2 coming out I'm not sure exactly when Fun Facts might happen or if it might in fact be a amalgamation for both books. We shall see. But in either case we've still got flashpoints to cover and like I say, give us a, another couple of weeks, and we'll be doing it all again with Critical Mass and um, oh god, I can't remember what the new mission pack's called, but the one that's got multiplayer
0: games in it. Oh, oh it's not containment. That's this one. Oh, that's going to annoy me. Yeah, now. it's
1: going to annoy me as well. It's Something like Betrayal or something. It's not, but it's something like that.
0: <laughs> going to look it oh, up very quick quickly. to the Googles who can find Go it. To the Googles. <SUN> Intro music. Keep me busy.
3: Catastrophe.
0: Something like that. Isn't it? We're good at this. Yeah. Keep yourself entertained, guys. Catastrophe. 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 That's it. Cool catastrophe. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Um. And then. As well, the new mission pack, Catastrophe, which is actually going to be including multiplayer games of 40k, which, I mean, I'm genuinely excited to sort of see what they've got in there because I'm pretty sure, whilst they have, in editions past, provided some multiplayer missions, they've never had more than, like, two or three examples of them. And if this is going to be a pretty standard Crusade mission pack that includes around 20-plus such missions... I cannot imagine what a multiplayer onslaught game is going to look like. I reckon it's just going to be a section of the mission pack that just says, please refer to the apocalypse
3: rules.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But um, we will see. So yeah, like I'm excited about that, but it's going to be busy here on the podcast between now and then. So we'll have to see how quickly we get through it all.
0: It'll be fine.
2: It'll be fine. Well, get editing then tony uh, yeah. please oh. i've only just finished editing stuff today
1: and now i'm gonna to have to do more tomorrow as well <laughs> yep. but i Up cannot complain because i enjoy all of it and i enjoy the finished product and hopefully you guys have done too so until next time guys this has been the narrative vlogger podcast helping you to discover more ways to play 40 game.